Welcome back. Welcome back. Happy New Year, January 1, 2021. Um, Ryan, we are in a new year. It is a new year. So it's a time to reflect on the last year of sports, but also look forward to a semi-normal year of sports that's very exciting, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, the NHL season's right around the corner, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, We got NBA uh, in full swing now. The playoff is this evening, starting at 4, and uh, we have a massive NFL recap. Huge show. Uh, Olivia Decker is going to be on the show today. Uh, It's a fun interview. Uh, We can't wait to get into that, but we'll obviously preview that interview before we get to her. But Ryan, let's just dive right in, as we always do on our Friday episodes. Look, we're here at the playoff. Let's just go matchup by matchup. Let's touch on Alabama, Notre Dame first. Um, The Rose Bowl being played in the Cotton Bowl. A little weird to say, so you're not going to get the beautiful Pasadena shots coming over the, you know, the Rose Bowl this year. Um, And and Herb Street, you know, hopefully he gets back to healthy. Um, He's battling the coronavirus right now. He tested positive. He's doing the game from his basement um, this, uh, this evening. So hopefully, uh, you know, he can get better. And, and uh, I saw a tweet where he says he feels fine. So I'm sure it's going to be a little weird chemistry-wise for them, uh, him and Fowler, uh, for him to do it from his home because, you know, that's one team that's been doing it in the booth all season. So, um, but look, Alabama, Devontae Smith, obviously he won AP Player of the Year, first wide receiver uh, to do that. Um, and he right now looks like he actually could win the Heisman. Um, especially with the way Kyle Trask played uh, against uh, Oklahoma. What a beatdown that was. That's one of those classic bowl games. You look at it on paper, looks fantastic, and it seems like the other team doesn't want to be there because th- the way things played out for them, you know, the last couple games, it's clear that they had their mind on a possible long shot of a playoff appearance. But, look, Notre Dame, I just don't trust, right? They always fall on the big stage. They always, always do. Um, and the last time they were in the Cotton Bowl, they lost 30 to 30 to three to Clemson. Um, and Alabama is as good, if not better than that Clemson team that they played a couple years ago in that Cotton Bowl semifinal. I expect a route, actually. I typically don't go the route option because I like to give teams the benefit of the doubt and I like to watch good games. But I expect like a 42 type 10 matchup uh, Alabama run, running away with this. Uh, they, they look incredible. It's Alabama. It's pure Alabama. Uh, to your point about showing the Pasadena shots, I wonder if they'll show shots of Spencer Rattler and his team just running all over Florida from a couple of nights ago. And instead of that, because that was, um, that was quite an embarrassment, <laughs> but, uh, looking at Alabama, Notre Dame, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I hate to agree with you in the sense that I think it's going to be a route because I, I too like to give teams the benefit of the doubt, but just looking at Notre Dame's bowl um, BCS or new year six bowl record, I should say back to back since 1996 or 1998, rather. It's not good. It's not good. Six games. Oh, and six. I, I can't find anything redeeming in there. The closest game that they had in there was 14 points. So still a two touchdown game that they lost. I just don't trust them here. And, and I realize it's a different team. They're not these other teams. I've heard that argument a lot too. 
but you're also looking at maybe what is the best version of Alabama we've seen in a while. You mentioned Devontae Smith and, and certainly a great player and, you know, maybe even the Heisman winner, certainly. You can double team him, you can triple team him, but they have more weapons. That's, that's the thing about Alabama is they just keep churning out players. One goes down, one is double teamed, one's out of a game, doesn't matter. They just keep coming, they keep bringing weapons. And as soon as they hit you over the top with Devontae Smith, they're going to hand it to Najee Harris. Mac Jones is going to find somebody else. And then the defense is probably going to come up with a stop. Notre Dame wants to be in this game at all. In my opinion, what they have to do is control the clock and run the ball. It's going to be a lot of Kyron Williams if they want to be able to be in this game. That's going to be the key to them being in it. A lot of people are leaning on Ian Book for this. I don't necessarily see that. Because I think with Ian Book, I think what you're trusting him to do, albeit a, a fine quarterback, is you're asking him to go out and win the game on his shoulders. He's won games like that, but not games like this. If you want to beat Alabama, you have to keep that offense off the field. And a good running back like Kyron Williams is going to have to do that. No small task against Alabama, but I think Alabama is going to win this one handily as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I feel like what I'm going to start doing is putting our crystal ball and our predictions just in general into a massive file that way come towards the end of next year um, for our show. We can just have a highlights package of all the predictions we've made um, going into this year. But look, if we're wrong, we're wrong. But I, I feel like Alabama is going to win, win this handily. By the way, uh, Ryan and I always do this over Zoom. I love uh, the towel that you got right now. You look like a 90s boxer yeah. uh, with your, uh, your towel hanging around your neck there. Yeah, I was sweating a little bit before this. So I, I had to throw this on. So I'm glad that we're not doing it on video or everybody might think it's Mike Tyson. Uh, well, uh, don't worry. I'm not going to throw the towel in on you. Um, I'll, you can be Rocky and I'll be Paulie, but uh, I'll, I'll let you keep uh, fighting it out with Yvonne uh, Drago there. Um, moving along. Um, look, it, it's incredible to, to think about, but this is only going to be the fifth time Clemson and Ohio State has played as programs. And this is going to be the third time, obviously, you know, not a shocker here, right? But it'll be the, the fourth time technically since 2015 that these two teams have played in uh, bowl games against each other. And that, that's the kind of thing I love to, to see because it may be down the road, you know, <laughs> 2035, you know, how they announced those home and home series for, you know, college football programs. But, you know, maybe down the road they can build some sort of home and home series because I feel like last year's game between Ohio State and Clemson in the playoff has been one of the best three or four games I've watched in the last two or three years. And that, that's, that is not me sugarcoating how much I'm excited for this matchup. That's a true statement. That game last year, especially with the way that it ended with some controversy, is going into this, right? You have Justin Fields and Ohio State who feel and really crave the attention on the big stage for this playoff game because, look, me and you included and a lot of other people think did they really have a big enough sample size to be here to begin with? Number two, you have Trevor Lawrence. He could be thinking, you know, the classic top NFL draft prospect, right? I don't, I don't know if he'll have that type of mentality, but sometimes when NFL draft prospects who see themselves going number one or in the top 10, they fall in bowl games because they are thinking about those kind of things. And scouts, you know, are still going to be there at the playoff game this evening. 
But look, it's going to be an incredible matchup. And not just between the two quarterbacks of Fields and Lawrence. You have Travis Etienne in the backfield, who's probably going to be a first-round back. You have Ohio State, who has skill players all over. Ryan Day, even though they've had such a small sample size, has really got them to play to their full potential and even better, I think, at times. You know, I think if they would have lost that Indiana game, maybe you could disagree with me here, there's no chance that they slide in. There's no chance because even as dominant as they looked at times, there's no chance the committee would have put them in with six games if they would have lost Indiana. I Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. I think that they would have left that out, and I think they probably would have looked at a, at a Texas A&M a little bit more. Um, you know, I hate, to keep, I hate to keep bashing the Cincinnati fans, but they probably still wouldn't have looked at them even being undefeated. But that's neither here nor there. But, you know, the, the thing about Ohio State is, is coming off this game, coming off the Big Ten Championship, you know, they, they struggled against Northwestern in the first half. But where did they succeed? They succeeded running the ball. And, and this is the second game I'll talk about running the ball. But when you set a when you set a school record for rushing yards and you set it on a big stage like that, like Trey Sermon did, you have to feel good coming into a playoff game. And in Ohio State, they have the bulletin board material, in my opinion. Now, I'm not a big believer in the in the, the talking in the newspaper type. Newspapers are outdated anyway, but you're you're talking about those things and Dabo Sweeney putting them at 11 in his ranking saying only fair is fair. And this is where I think they belong. Ohio state's going to be, they're going to be mad and ready for this matchup. I still think Clemson's a better team, but I think Ohio state's going to come out and play better. Now, the other side of this that I've heard a lot too with Ohio state being that they have only played seven games to this point, they're well-rested. They're more rested than Oklahoma, or not Oklahoma, I apologize, Clemson is. And I think that could play into it a little bit too. They're, they're kind of starting to find their groove as they're playing this because they haven't played as many games. So they kind of have the opportunity to click and play in the Big Ten championship game and move into the, move into the uh, semifinal now. But I still think Clemson's a better team, and I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be is going to be on his game as as much as Ohio State starting to click too. With Trevor Lawrence being back now, they're really starting to click too. And Trevor Lawrence looked good against Notre Dame, and they have to feel confident coming off that game playing another team that's in the playoff and routing them the way that they did. So I think Clemson wins this game, but I actually think this one's going to be a lot closer. I'm giving this one about a seven point, uh, you know, four to seven point game it'll be another one of those games kind of like last year hopefully not marred by controversy in that sense but I'm, I'm starting to come around to the Ohio State idea a little bit but I think this one will be a little bit closer this is more of an open-ended question because obviously we do two episodes a week right but um, when we record a couple of days from now for our Tuesday episode would you rather see Alabama Ohio State or Alabama Clemson I feel like Alabama Clemson right that's the classic matchup that happens it seems like every year since the playoffs inception. Um, but who, who ultimately, who would you rather see play Alabama? Because I think both of us are in agreement as much as the country is as well. I saw 89% of the country believes Alabama is going to win that game against Notre Dame. Um, who would you rather see play Bama? The, the 11% is literally just everybody in South, in South Bend. Bend. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just everybody in South Bend, which as West Virginia fans, we have experience of that when we played Oklahoma a number of years ago, but 
I, I would rather see Alabama and Clemson. And, and this kind of goes against what I've said in some of our previous episodes about seeing the same matchups isn't good for college football. But but if it's the best game, then it's the best game. And, and I think that Ohio, or excuse me, I think that Alabama and Clemson would be the best game of, of those matchups. I, I don't want to see Notre Dame Clemson again, personally. I, you know, I've seen it once and it was a great game the first time I saw it twice. And then it was not a great game the second time. Um, but I think Alabama is, is I, I don't see any way they lose that game, but I would want to see him play Clemson. Um, but I'm sure you probably saw too, just floating around social media and the interwebs was, was Mac Brown talking about expanding the playoffs kind of for this reason, because of, uh, for example, what happened last night with Florida, Florida's down nine or 10 players because they all opt out of the bowl game. It gives players more opportunity to play and it makes the games a little bit more fun. To kind of turn it back on you with a question, do you think that if they opted into an eight game scenario that it would make these games better? Or, you know, if, if in this scenario this year, Alabama would have played Cincinnati and would that have even been fun to watch or would it just be a blowout? Yeah, that almost turns it into an NFL type schedule for college football programs, right? I mean, I want as much football as I can, <laughs> like as a fan, you know what I mean? But I think uh, the if they ever do expand the playoff, the best scenario is what Tom said on our show, you know, many, many weeks back now, but where you give it six teams, you don't give it eight because eight kind of dilutes things, but you make it six teams. You give the first two uh, seeds buys and then the other four play each other. And then that way you're still also holding out on the new Year's six, right? The new Year's six will still hold impact because if you get down to eight, you're making two more bowl games, essentially, playoff games and it dilutes the new year's new year's six does that make you so yeah I, I i know exactly what you're saying yeah um so we're very excited for the playoff we can't wait uh later today um and hey don't don't forget uh, the chick-fil-a peach bowl before that as well so um it, you know we got a jam-packed day of college football but speaking of college football uh instant reaction wb army uh, look, WVU kind of is the team that they are when it comes to bowl games, plays stagnant, plays lackadaisical, goes through the motions, and except for the Pat White four years, but those kind of things in college football are anomalies, and you don't get those type of teams when it comes to playing your bowl game like it's a regular season game, because you know as well as I know, college football teams and games when it comes to bowl season – they either show up or they don't. And typically WVU's on the back half of that and they don't show up. But Army is a team with triple option. They took the game on, what, eight, nine days notice. You know, still a full week's preparation when it comes to regular season. But, um, you know, the game ended with a pick there and, and Army, you know, is not a passing team. So for them to try to drive down the field and, and lose 24-21, uh, instant reaction. Well, they said that the Army quarterback, the, the starting quarterback, I think they said he threw four passes all year in 10 or 11 games. I mean, that's that's Army's offense. You're right, though. West Virginia seems to have a standard whenever it comes to bowl games of coming out and, and starting slow. But I think a lot of that today, just, just from watching it, kind of lies on the shoulders of Jared Deggie. And, and his game was not great in the first half. And Ultimately, that's why he was pulled in the second half to give us to give that spark to the team that we always talk about from Austin Kendall. And, and I'm going to be honest, I, I saw Austin Kendall walk in the game and I, 
I wasn't overly sure. I, I wasn't sure if that was going to make a difference. Uh, I thought maybe Army would would be able to control it on the back end of the game with with the runs. But hey, Austin Kendall came in and played great. He hit he hit open guys. He made some good throws, and ultimately won the game for him. Um, also, too, I, I <laughs> the the two most noticeable people on the field it seems every week are the Stills brothers. Just just in a triple option offense, we talked about it last show, but it, it's not an easy offense to defend against because it's about gap assignments. It's about taking your individual person, depending where you are on the field. <laughs> they they lined up inside of the guards pretty much every play, and I felt like they were back there 90% of the plays in the first half at least. And, and that's a testament to how good those two are. Um, proud to not only have them as, as WVU players, but – uh, representatives of the state of West Virginia in general, but a, a overall good win. It's nice to see WVU win a bowl game. That's the first one since the Cactus Bowl. Um, so if you if you really want to go throw back there, everybody, uh, when Skylar Howard was leading a shootout type game and David Sills was <laughs> David Sills was a freshman, so a little bit of a, a little bit of a throwback there for everybody. But happy to uh, happy to have another bowl win in the notch. Yeah, I mean, uh, bowl season's weird. It really is. Bowl season's weird when it comes to it. I mean, how much stock are we going to put into a Liberty Zone, you know, Auto Zone, you know, Liberty Bowl win? And and WVU's always been the team middle of the road. That's what they are. And WVU basketball season, uh, that team looks incredible. And, and, you know, as basketball season gets deeper uh, into conference play than it already is, We'll talk about them because I, I think going forward, Jared Dagey, you know, <laughs> I don't think Neil Brown is the guy. I just think, you know, people, we've talked about it before, people too, put too much stock into WBU as a football school when they're really a basketball school. And it's almost kind of like um, the opposite when it comes to teams like Ohio State. They think that they're a football and basketball school when they're they're just a football school. You know what I mean? So that those are the kind of things. And, you know, I, I don't know how much you put it like, I mean, there was an Idaho potato bowl one, you know what I mean? <laughs> like and, and the Mississippi State brawl that we saw today against Tulsa, like how much stock are we putting into the lockhead arm, you know, arm arm head bowl? It's just those kind of things make bowl season fun, but it's also weird because when you go into next season, you don't know where to put a team and where they fit into conference play. And it's not, it's really not until you get to October of a college football season, do you know where a team stands? So. Well, looking at West Virginia too, just, just one thing off of that, you, you talk about Ohio state and, and the way I see Ohio state as a, as a university with its programs is they are a football school. They're going to be in the conversation every single year in football, but basketball has its years too. And that's kind of how I feel about WVU is, is basketball is usually in the conversation, you know, albeit a couple off years. I know two years ago was not great for WVU basketball, but here we are again talking about a potential late season run. But WVU football fluctuates on that side where some seasons you're just like, eh, this is probably going to be a little bit lower. They're going to work up. They'll have a good season in that, but then it'll be back down where, where traditionally the other program is usually in the conversation for conference championships. So I understand that, and I agree that that it's more of a basketball-type school. Um, you know, I'm on the other side of that. I think Neil Brown is building something good here, but it, it's really going to only be seen next year in 2021 when when everything gets underway. Yeah, um, we, we disagree on that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I know you're a Neil Brown supporter, but, 
yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in the future and we'll put that in the crystal ball file that uh, I'm creating for us there. <laughs> um, guys, we are, are here. Unfortunately, we're here. We're, it's week 17. Uh, we don't have many weeks left of football. But look, playoffs are right around the corner and playoffs are just uh, not as, if not better, than the regular season at times. Um, but we're going to break up the NFL recap, well, preview, excuse me, uh, because it is a massive slate. Look, we're not Kornacki, and we don't have telestrators, and we don't have khakis, and we don't have ties. By the way, we're a huge Kornacki podcast, if you haven't figured that out by now. Uh, that guy... You, you told me you were crunching the numbers earlier yesterday, I and I said, I said, put your khakis on, because that's yeah. the only way you're allowed to do it. <laughs> right, I was crunching the numbers. Uh, he is the ultimate guy who found his niche in something kind of like Joe Lenardi. And I think we've talked about that before, maybe off air where he just, he's set for life now at NBC. They're going to bring him out that like week 14 to week 17 stretch every single year, just like ESPN brings out Joe Lenardi for those last like three or four weeks of the basketball season. And then he's gone for, you know, the 11 months out of the year. Um, but the first game we're actually going to talk about, on our NFL preview, it does have playoff implications, kind of, kind of. We're going to talk about Tampa, Atlanta first, and then we're going to talk about Dallas, New York on the front half, and then the, the back half, we're going to talk about the rest of the games. Tampa Bay is clinched. There's no scenario for them where they can move up and down in the seating. It almost feels like an Atlanta closed their facility today due to positive COVID tests. It feels like what is going to happen this Sunday with them is they're going to rest their starters. I don't think that's the right thing to do because I'm not really a rest type of guy anyway, but I, I feel like Tampa is the team all season that's needed as many reps as they can get because they didn't have the preseason because of COVID that, they need this game and they need to win it, not lose, because I feel like even to lose with them resting their starters actually takes momentum out of their sales going into wildcard weekend because uh, the way things are looking out, like it's going to play for them, they look like they might get that weird four o'clock slot on the Saturday slate um, that the ESPN uh, wildcard game goes to. And that game's always a stinker. <laughs> But I feel like they need that game because I feel like what's going to end up happening is if they lose, they're going to lose a lot of momentum going into the playoff weekend here because Tom Brady, let's face it, last year when he didn't get the bye like he normally did, those years where they were making the FC championship game, wildcard weekend was a struggle for him and he lost. You know what I mean? So it's, it's hit or miss with them. We've talked about it all, all year. I don't know what to think of them. I feel like they're going to win the game, especially with things are playing out in Atlanta. But it's a little weird because they're a wild card team, but they've already clinched and there's really nothing to play for. Yeah, I think the only thing really to play in this game for Tampa is pride. I mean, that that's really it. There's there's nothing that's going to happen. They can't win the division. So um, you and I see rest a little bit different. It, I almost think it depends on the scenario for a team. Because, and we'll talk about it a little bit later with a team like Pittsburgh, I think I might agree with it. But to your point, needing those reps is important. 
But on the other side of it, too, I watched the Lions game last week. And, and again, I realized the Lions are not a perennial power in the NFL, but I, I thought they looked okay during that game. And, and again, I realized the Lions are not the best competition to judge that on. But I, I think for the Bucs, I think more than this, more than anything, it's, it's playing for pride because they, they don't want to lose. And, and even if Tom Brady doesn't step on the field, he doesn't like to lose. So um, I, I don't know. I, I think this will this will probably be one of those it kind of feels like a 17-13 game. Maybe the Bucks pull it out and have a late drive. Uh, they're, they're backups, Blaine Gabbard, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Let's go Blaine Gabbard. Blaine Gabbard, uh, number 10 overall. Here's here's a fun one for you. So this this is going to date it back a little bit with Blaine Gabbard. Um, we used to get ESP in the magazine in our house, Ooh. and him and Chase Daniel played together at Missouri, right? Right. And that was when Missouri was a big-time power, and it said – I don't remember the exact verbiage, but it said one can win a national championship, but the other can win a Super Bowl. Oof. That's a, that's not a, that didn't age well. No, no. That's a crystal ball prediction gone bad, really bad. <laughs> that one did not age well, but no. just had to throw that out there. I, I don't have any, you know, ill feelings for Blaine Gabbert, but that one, that one sticks out of my mind. Speaking of Tampa, by the way, for the people who are Tom Brady let's call them haters or say that he's old and he hasn't looked good. Let me just read you some numbers because he's had one of the best seasons he's ever had in his career. 4,234 yards, 36 touchdowns, 11 picks. I think he's still doing okay. Okay. <laughs> like I feel like though he could have a Ben and Terry type problem if he plays one year too long, because that happened with Vinatieri last year and Adam retired in the middle of the season. You know, that, that's how bad things got in Indy for field goal kicking. Um, I feel like Tom, this needs to be his last season, regardless of what happens, whether they end up with a Lombardi or they don't. Because I feel like next year, actually, if he does play, it's one year too many. And he's going to have the, the Peyton Manning type look at games where his last year in Denver, you know, they were just balls were sailing and, and they, they were ducks and, and, and they weren't getting, you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, Peyton just didn't look good that last year. Um, well, and Tom Brady said a couple of years ago, he said, I'm going to play until I suck. Right. And, you know, based on what, based on those numbers and based on result, he, he doesn't suck yet. So no. hopefully that doesn't happen to him, you know, a similar situation, but he's, uh, he's certainly out there doing Tom Brady things, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. He is uh, doing that. And, Look, talking about doing things, Andy Dalton. <laughs> Andy red, Dalton. The red rifle. Red rifle and Daniel Jones, a matchup for the ages. Who would have thought this would – I'm glad it's not on uh, NBC Sunday night, though, because that seems to be a game that's always on Sunday night football, at least once, is Giants and Cowboys. But, look, Amari Cooper's actually had a quiet year. I didn't even realize this until today. 1,000 yards on the seasons, 1,073, five touchdowns. Touchdowns aren't great, right? But it looks like 60% of America thinks the Giants are going to win the game, 40% Dallas. And here are the scenarios for the Giants and Cowboys going into Sunday in that NFC battle. Dallas will clinch the NFC East if Dallas wins or a Washington loss. Pretty simple, pretty simple. The Giants, the Giants can clinch the NFC East with, and of course I lost it here, but (laughs) 
the Giants can clinch the NFC East with a win and a Washington loss. Pretty simple. So, I mean, look, I don't think either of us expected uh, a while back that this would be a scenario where this could be an NFC East championship, just like the game we'll talk about on the back half, Washington Philly. But it seems like Dallas is actually the better team going into Sunday. It seems like they've actually really played themselves to at least get into this position. Look, I don't think whoever wins the NFC East is going to do anything other than maybe Washington because Washington's defensive line is so nasty that I think that's the only team that can get a, a win possibly on wild card weekend, but Dallas playing themselves back in, it's kind of remarkable. I don't trust Daniel Jones. I actually think uh, he has a shorter lease than he believes or even Giants fans believe because he looks bad at times, right? He looks like he doesn't know how to read defenses. He had one of the all-time NFL football foley's this year, right? When he busts for the 80 yard run and he trips over himself and the, the team laughs, like those are the kind of things. And when he was drafted, you can still pull up clips on YouTube every NFL analyst is blown away, right? Like they cannot believe he was selected. In hindsight, not bad when they were picking between either him or Dwayne, Dwayne's out of the league. So I find that matchup very intriguing because I, I actually think Dallas can win this game like a 20 to 17 type matchup. The NFC East is weird. It's, it's been weird all year. I, I, there's a, there's a thought in my mind that I didn't think that this would come down to the last week, but I should have known better because it's the NFC East. So let me, let me ask you a question here. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about this game and obviously America is kind of siding with the giants on this. Is it possible that the reason why is, is because America is, is only thinking back as far as what they see. And what I mean by that is the last time we saw the giants on a primetime game that I remember was playing against the Bucks and lost that game. But everybody said, oh, this, this Giants team is, they're actually starting to look good. They're starting to put things together. I think the last time we saw the Cowboys on primetime, Ben DiNucci was doing whatever Ben DiNucci does. And the lasting image in fans' heads is Dak Prescott's ankle injury. Dallas has been the better team the last three weeks. Andy Dalton, and, and we talked about it last show too, really, really kind of adds that veteran presence that, that these other teams don't really have. Uh, with, with the current situation, of course, Alex Smith is a veteran and has been there, but if, but if Taylor Heineke starts, it's certainly different. But you know, Dan, Daniel Jones hasn't been there. Andy Dalton's at least made it to the playoffs. He knows what it takes to get there. And, and he's thrust into a bad situation, but here we are talking about the Cowboys as potential NFC champions whenever everybody thought they'd finished three and 13 after their star was done. But do you think it, it's kind of short sight on, on America's end that, that they think that the giants are better because of the, that, that image? I do. And I also feel like for what it's worth, everyone thinking that Washington's going to lose to Philly and look, we're, we're not going to talk about that game until the back half, but everyone feels like after the last two weeks, Washington's just going to lose the game. Uh, if, unless Alex Smith is on the field Sunday against Philly, I don't feel that way. And everyone feels like they're riding the Dallas Cowboys Kool-Aid 
and they're just assuming that they're going to get in the playoffs, let me tell you something right now. If Andy Dalton gets in the playoffs, he's 0-5 as a playoff starter, okay, all on wild card weekend. The guy can't <laughs> seem to win and get his feet out of the pool on wild card weekend. So I, I feel like I feel like America looks at the Giants, especially after that Bucks game, and the way they kind of gave the Eagles a game on that big Thursday night game way back when, um, they, they look at the Giants as, hey, if they get in, you know, recent success, recency bias, that happens with teams. And you know that it's, it's true, you know, like even though it's been since 2011 that they've been in the post, like postseason with a Super Bowl win at least, not, not being in the actual postseason. Um, they're going to be like, oh, the Giants, Giants, watch out for them all because of those two Super Bowl wins in 07 and, and 2011. So I definitely agree with you there. But, Ryan, we got a huge re preview on the back half. But tell everyone who we got on the show today. Yeah, we have Olivia Harlan Decker. And Olivia is a sideline reporter for ESPN College Football and the Big Ten Network for basketball and the NFL. I had a lot of fun in this interview. I, I loved her. I loved her takes on college football and college basketball uh, and also gave us one of our first merch ideas. <laughs> so that's, that's definitely a, a positive in this, but um, yeah, like you said, it's a fun one and, and I enjoyed it. And now our interview with Olivia Harlan Decker. All right. We now welcome one sideline reporter for ESPN college football a reporter for the NFL one Westward sports and big 10 network basketball reporter. Olivia Harlan Decker. Olivia, thank you for joining the two Ryan Sports Show today. Hey, Ryan Squared. I'm glad to be on. Ryan Squared. That's something that I uh, used to hear in school a lot. So you've brought back a lot of memories now of some of my close friends. So <laughs> much, much appreciated. <laughs> so Olivia, uh, let's just jump right into this. So again, we're, we're big college football people here, but I want to do kind of a kind of a look back at the season and then a look forward with it too. So We've seen a lot of surprising teams this year for the good. Teams like Indiana, Coastal Carolina. Um, I might even throw Iowa State in there. Sure. So what what teams do you think are building for the most success in the future that 2020 is just not a, a one-off fluke type deal? I would add in Cincinnati to your list. And I think, I think this brings up a bigger discussion that the college football playoff has to um, approach because in a season like this when we've seen a team I'll keep using Cincinnati do so well but we all know they're not going to get in the playoff why so I think it, it plays favorites um, they're they're a power five playoff system and they need to just say it if that's going to be what we see year after year and I just feel like this year is the perfect excuse to have tons of data points to point that we need an 18 playoff um, and these conference championships, like yesterday, we had some really, really good games, like one touchdown games, but some of them, like, like, let's say Northwestern had won, they're not making the playoff. So what's the point of the game? So I, I feel like we need to have games that mean more because I think a lot of people got, got off of the college football fandom this season. It was not as good of a product as it has been. Um, and, and people think the playoff selection committee is garbage and that the playoff system is garbage so I think this year is the perfect year to say all right we tried it for a couple of years this isn't working and people are not liking the product and then most seasons we end up with a playoff that has blowouts so let's have 
eight teams, four great games um, for the first round. And I think then you have people really into it um, who otherwise might not be a college football fan. Do you think this furthers any argument potentially of a, of a group of five playoff with, with almost a distinct split, like you said, with Cincinnati, because no one's really putting them in there, but is, is a group of five playoff even a possibility? I mean, it should definitely be discussed, but I feel like the Cincinnati's of the world, like how do we know that Cincinnati wouldn't beat an Iowa State? You know, so I, I feel like they're right there. And the best group of five teams, like a couple years ago, UCF, and, you know, teams like that, they're almost always from the American. Um, the Boise States of the world, like these teams should be able to, if, if they're going to be a lot of talk, let them compete. So I'd rather have one big college football playoff than a group five and a power five. National champions, UCF. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I've had them a bunch, and it's always fun going down there. One, they have, like, the largest enrollment of any school in the country, so their fandom is huge, and their games are wild. Like, they call it the bounce house, and I did a hit from the stadiums, and, I mean, it does. The place rocks. So I, I'm, I'm a UCF fan. Um, Olivia, real quick before I get to my question, uh, we've, we've also talked about on the show um, about I, I, it seems like the committee doesn't value conference champions either. Um, you know, real quick to your point about that uh, in the playoff committee, because, I mean, you look at a couple years ago, Penn State's a perfect example, right? TCU, Baylor is a perfect example. Uh, you could go on and on down the list, and it just seems like the Pac-12 is always forgetting out of the whole thing, but it's not their fault that, you know, the strength isn't there in that conference. But um, look, you're one of the best in the business, as far as I'm concerned, as far as reporting, what is it like preparing for a shortened season? Because following you on Instagram, look, you're up at three in the morning, coming back from Turkey, preparing for a game, like with Penn state, I believe it was like, look, how, how difficult was that? Well, this season has sucked for everyone. Like, I think I only had six, like I didn't have a game yesterday and that killed me. I was supposed to, but the big 10 had three of their seven champions games canceled so my game was canceled so I'm sitting at home watching the pregame show and I'm like gosh I have severe FOMO right now like this and that's been most weeks I think this year I finished with six football games and I usually have 15 or 16 with bowls so I'm I'm usually this is usually my busiest time in fact my family I'm like oh so what do we do for Christmas again I'm like never here <laughs> or like Thanksgiving I'm never here for Thanksgiving I've had these holidays which you know is great but um I mean, the prep has been so sporadic because I'll, like, I love football season because I love my routine. Like, I have such a set routine. Um, you know, on Mondays, we usually do our production call. And then on Tuesdays, we do away coach meetings. Wednesday, we kind of loop back around with our graphics team. And I mean, there's such a regimented schedule of the football season. This year, I'm waiting around, like, by as late as Monday. And I'm like, do I still have a game? Like, are we playing? And so it's, it's just thrown me for such a loop. I can't imagine how the coaches feel because, I mean, you, you start prepping really two weeks before and they have scout coaches who start scouting their whole season in the summer. So like, I can't imagine on a Wednesday or Thursday or this year, Friday, getting calls saying, yeah, it's not happening. It's like, then, okay, let's start, start prepping for the next one. So the prep has been um, so bizarre. I, I feel like every time I just walk on the field on a Saturday now, I'm like, Hey, like, are, like, are we still playing? I, so it's it's I have not enjoyed that part of the season at all. And also probably significantly different without 50, 60,000 fans in a, in a stadium, too, that, that doesn't that doesn't move at all. 
Right. And for me, it's a little different because I have two ear pods in and I'm like, I'm really just hearing our TV copy anyways, our broadcast. So for me, the sound part isn't as much of an issue. If anything, it's like, it's almost easier or better because regardless of what stadium I'm at, I'm not throwing shade any fan base, but there's always a couple, you know, it, it's always like drunk dads who end up yelling things. And I'm like, sir, like, you're, you're my dad's age. Like, why are you yelling at me? And it's always stuff like, uh, hey, Aaron Andrews. And you're just like, no. So uh, yeah, the, the lack of fan interference, I guess, is the one positive uh, for a sideline reporter. And I, the stories, when my coworkers and I get together and we start comparing notes, it's everyone. So uh, I don't know why a sideline reporter is a great uh, target for a drunk fan. Um, so one, never yell at the sideline reporter because it, it'll just make her mad, her or him. And they have to like take out their thing. They're trying to listen. They'll be like, what? <laughs> so it drives me crazy. So just to get, just to get yelled at. Yeah. But they're like, Hey, I'm talking to you. And you're like, why I'm, I'm working. Like no one yells at you when you're in a board meeting. <laughs> We're going to put them with we're going to put that quote that you said, drunk dads yelling at you on a t-shirt. That's going to be our first t-shirt we're ever going to launch. I promise. <laughs> I love it. I mean, but you don't have to call out fan bases because every single one has those people. We're, yeah. we're both WVU grads okay. and, and we've experienced that. You know, you see that in Milan Pushkar stadium, but every stadium has it. That's not yeah. specific to one, to one venue. hundred percent. So well-intentioned people. It's just, when you, especially a night game it's always the night game because you've been drinking all day so i'm like <laughs> okay, it, it on. builds up to the to the late start i'm sure yes, yes. so i want to switch gears a little bit and, and look into basketball on my end here so the the big 10 is arguably the best conference in basketball this year and in, in the f in the top level division one but uh kind of a two-part question here is there anyone in the nation that can stop Luca Garza? And is there a dark horse that you see in the Big Ten that could really make a run into, into March and, and potentially April? I was just talking about this with my husband. We're obviously Badger fans. Um, but I, I was saying, gosh, this is not the year for the Blue Bloods, the Dukes, Kentuckys, Louisvilles. And he's like and, – and I said, yeah, it's so great watching Wisconsin have all this success. And he said – I think Wisconsin's a blue blood. And we like, I was like, I, I mean, I guess. And at what point do you get to kind of earn that title? And I'm like, yeah, they're consistently in the conversation. They're consistently. And obviously when he went, he was there, they went to two final fours in a national championship. But I'm like, I don't know if like the national perspective considers Wisconsin in that. So to answer your question, I don't know if Wisconsin is a dark horse, but I really like this year's team. Um, and then with Luca Garza, gosh, he is, he is a beast. I haven't seen him in person yet this year, but I had him a ton last year. And um, like, he's one of those guys who approaches college like a pro and you'd be shocked how that's actually more rare than you would think. Like when he went overseas to train in Europe in the off season, I mean, that's, he approaches this year like a professional and I, I really respect his game. Um, but yeah, but the big men in the big 10 last year, and we're seeing it again this year, like, there's some good bigs. So yeah, someone can stop them because there's, there's um, I think a handful of Luca Garza's in the country. 
one of my look we're so grateful to have you on but look we are, we're gonna try to get your dad at some point too I, I, I promise okay yeah um <laughs> will you ever use one of your dad's catchphrases uh going uh, forward in your broadcasting career because uh i love the uh, the kevin harlan classic catchphrases as i call them well what's your favorite uh, I love a good yes during an NBA game, yes. or I love when he turns to Reggie and he goes, Reggie, what did you think about that? And it, like, it's because he's worked with Reggie so much more than any of the guys over at Turner. Like, will you ever end up using one of his uh, catchphrases? Uh, I don't think it fits for the sideline reporter. I don't know if you guys saw, though, a couple weeks ago, Jamie Erdahl was doing um, an Alabama game and the audio went out in the booth and she had to do play by play from the field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One, I think that's like my worst nightmare because play-by-play, one, is, is so hard. It's, there's such a craft to it. And then two, on the field, you really cannot see. I can't see the ball carrier. I can't see the down and distance. I can't see anything. So that is like my worst nightmare. I feel like I'd just go into – you'd almost have to just go into kind of story mode. Like if Alabama's got the ball, talk about their quarterback. So, yeah. But to answer your question, that's the only time that I feel like it would be appropriate to use one of his calls because – Otherwise, in a sideline hit, I don't see the need for it, but uh, I enjoy his theatrics for sure. Well, that photo you posted of him doing it from the basement the other day went super viral, super viral. I got thousands of followers from that. And I told my dad that and he's not a social media guy and he's because everyone kept reposting it and then crediting me. And my dad was like, oh, good, honey. Good for you. And I was like, that's a weird <laughs> response. I was like, no, I mean, it, like, it's great, but I was like, yeah, people loved that. And he's like, I don't know why there's tens of guys around the country doing this. And I was like, yeah, but it was just such a different look. And it was your third game in three days, your third national network game in three days. And the prep that goes into that and then your performance being at its peak for a preseason game. I mean, it was just, it was cool. So I, I, I got the biggest kick out of that. Yeah, it's a good way to good way to earn those brownie points. And hey, the followers are there now, so you can keep them yeah. along with you. Okay, welcome. <laughs> I'll post all the dad content you guys want, not drunk dads. Thank yeah, you. well, that's that's reserved for the t-shirts. We don't need that on social media accounts anymore. But uh, one last question for you on my end. So uh, at the time of this recording, we don't know the championship for, but do you have a playoff prediction as far as a winner? Is there anybody better than Alabama or Clemson in this class? They kind of seem to stand alone, but is there a team that could knock them off? I mean, Clemson looked so incredible yesterday. And I, what's the guy's name who had six sacks? I mean, like they, they are as complete a team as you can find. And what bothers me about the Notre Dame situation is that a lot of people – say oh well they didn't win the first one because they didn't have trevor lawrence in but the quarterback play in that first meeting with notre dame was great dj i'm not gonna say it is wonderful and he will be a future star there and we're gonna lament him just like we lament trevor lawrence so it's yeah it's definitely gonna end up alabama and clemson in the national championship and i gotta say i feel like alabama is so consistently uh, just successful and, and talk about a complete team all the time. But I think there's something about Dabo and there's something about his teams. And I kind of like that they have a loss. I, I feel like they, you, you like get it under your belt. You like digest it. Um, so I, I kind of like Clemson to win it all. I feel like they've got a pulse. I like it. Well, I just, um, I've, I've been practicing the backup quarterback's name for a while. I actually was sitting doing oh, a video. Lele? We on Lele. Oh, and, and, and 
and I had I had like a YouTube video pulled up. So I can only imagine from your perspective how you're looking at this going, oh my gosh, now I got to pronounce these names too. So it's, uh, I feel for you on that one. No, it's always that when you have BYU, it's kind of a joke amongst media members. We're like, oh, like just spend all week just saying those names because they have a ton of Polynesian names. Um, and I mean, say I've had Hawaii before. Prepping for a Hawaii game is really tough, but yeah, that's, um, got, and now UCF, they, it's like a pipeline from Hawaii. So same thing, but um, those names are really tough. So last question for you before we let you go, look, you've done so many games. Uh, you've obviously, you know, covered the Big Ten most of the time for college football. What is the coldest game you remember being at reporting? Okay, it's between two. I had a game at Iowa on Thanksgiving weekend, my first year with ESPN. So it was like 2015 or 16. And it was an ABC, like middle of the day. It was a big game on the Friday. Um, it was that Big Ten Friday game right after Thanksgiving. And it's a huge game. I was so excited. And um, I mean, truly coldest. That's got to be the coldest game I've ever done. And post game and Kirk Ferentz is in like this, like he's in like a hoodie <laughs> and I'm like, I'm severely wrapped up. I had to do sports center hits all morning. So let's say the game was, it was probably three o'clock or something. I mean, we were at on the field at like 9am for game day hits, sports center hits. I mean, so, I mean, they work you for those big games. And then, so I'd like do a hit run back and in, inside. It's like, Oh my God, hot chocolate, coffee, anything. And then back out there for another hit and trying to like kind of come up with new info. And then by the time the post-game interview rolls around, I mean, I was, I was frozen. Like I, 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 had, I had said everything I could think of about this game. And now it's this big post-game interview with Kirk Ferentz. And I mean, my jaw, like I just had like lock jaw. Like I was like, and so that was, that's gotta be the coldest. Um, and I don't know, and he's cool as a cucumber, hands in his pockets, like, like probably thinking you're, you're, <laughs> you're disturbed and I was I was so cold and but then another one um I did the potato bowl the Idaho potato bowl a couple years ago and so it's you know late December in Idaho and um it was like an ice storm and not snow but the field it was like a hockey rink and the players running out of the tunnel after halftime were just slipping on the ice like it was it was one of the sloppiest games I've ever done, but that that's got to be in my uh, coldest category for sure. Yeah, that I, that does not sound fun from a player or reporter <laughs> no. perspective by any stretch. Um, so for the, I can, record, the reporter, like I said, the reporter is physically outside on the field longer than the coaches and players. So <laughs> I will say that. So respect the reporters. Respect the reporters and don't yell at them. Yes, please don't yell at the reporters. Just wear the T-shirt instead. But uh, Olivia, we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to spend with us today. Um, as you go about the rest of your year with basketball and everything, I hope that you and all of your loved ones continue to stay safe, uh, stay well, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon down the road. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And I will put in a good word with my dad. He is a, He's a much harder podcast guest to get than myself, so I will put in a... <laughs> a recommendation <laughs> absolutely we really appreciate that we'll, we'll hope to have him one day too but again thank you very much thank, thank you guys you. yep thank you don't be a drunk dad no drunk dads no drunk dads allowed <laughs> don't be a drunk dad that that's what uh, <laughs> you know and hey guys i mean let's uh let's try to let olivia do her job when she's at a game how about that you know because like she said you know she doesn't interrupt you when you're working so 
uh, don't be a drunk dad. That's what we take away. Um, yeah, I, just, just let sideline reporters do their job. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not hard. No, it, it is not. And, you know, hopefully speaking of dads, we can get her dad, Kevin on, like we've talked about with her in that interview, but you know, maybe one day, maybe one day. Um, huh. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Miami Buffalo. There's huge, huge playoff implications in this. So Miami Buffalo here is, I'll go through Miami's playoff scenario first before I go through Buffalo's um, possible seating scenarios. Miami clinches the playoff with a win or a Baltimore loss or a Cleveland loss or an Indianapolis loss. Buffalo will clinch the two seed with a win, flat out win. They will drop down to the three seed with a loss and a Steelers win, even though they have this, the tiebreaker over the Steelers. So that's where we sit for Miami Buffalo. It's a big game because both teams have something to play for. Of course, Buffalo wants to be the higher seed, right? Because they would rather play the seven seed than play the six. That's just how it works. It's basic math. So I don't know what to think though. Tua is going to get the start, right? Because Fitzpatrick has tested positive for COVID. Um, I don't know what to think of Tua. Here's why. Because we've talked about it before. It frustrates me as a fan of football when you put him in and then you take him out and you put in Fitzpatrick. You got to let him grow. And you're playing for a playoff spot. I get it. But isn't this the per isn't this the quarterback you chose number five overall to be your guy, to be your guy, be your leader for years to come? And I tell you what, right now, I hate doing the draft comparison when it's year one, because those are things you wait when it comes to quarterbacks, linemen, whatever, until like the third or fourth year of who took number third overall and hook number four overall. You know what I mean? But right now, looks without a doubt that the Chargers got the better quarterback in the draft with Herbert than Tua. And I understand he struggles at times and he looks like a check down Charlie at times, but you got to let him play. You got to let him develop. And it's, it's growing time on Sunday when in Western New York, by the way, big news as of yesterday, Western New York, Buffalo fans, you got approved to be, at some capacity for a playoff game. So no Bills Mafia, just being able to go to the game, still incredible. I love that they're like, there won't be tailgating. I'm like, there will be tailgating. There they'll just figure out, they'll, they'll figure a way around it <laughs> if if you want to do that. But so I, I'm I'm in agreement with you there about doing the draft comparisons uh, too early. And, and, you know, you certainly don't want to say Justin Herbert is the better quarterback and uh, overall because, you know, the next 10 years, Tua could come out and be the superstar and win five super. I mean, you just don't know how it works out, but I, I do agree. And, and there are even people saying, you know, the, the chargers got the better pick. The, you can't help but wonder what the dolphins may look like if they would have taken Herbert at five. But my counter argument to that is the dolphins got a little bit of invigorated, you know, they were invigorated a little bit whenever Tua came in and they started winning games. So I'm, I'm almost wondering if some of that comes from the fact that 
Anthony Lynn probably knows he might not have a job come Monday and the Chargers are not going to make any playoffs. So he's basically just out there saying, well, this is what Justin Herbert can do. They're, they're not really playing for much this season. So he kind of has a little bit more freedom to say, just, just sling it around. Where Brian Flores is, is in this sense now where they're obviously playing for a playoff spot in week 17 and he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to just let it fly because he knows that the team has something to play for. Maybe that's not true. Maybe that's a reach, but I feel like some of it could be true because we've seen to a play and we know what he can do. I think that'll open up a little bit more next year whenever he has more time and certainly a weird off season, but we don't have to revisit that, but I'm, I'm going with, I'm, I'm going to go with Buffalo in this one. And the reason is, is because of Tua. I think that Buffalo's defense has only been improving the last few weeks and getting the number two seed, although this season, it doesn't really matter as much because it doesn't come with the buy. It does come with that potential next home game because in the scenario that the chiefs get knocked off or something crazy happens, you know, you, then you have home field advantage throughout. And, and I think that is meaningful even in a year like this in, in some capacity, it means less, but it still means something. I'm going to go with Buffalo. Uh, I, I still, I still feel like Miami can make the playoffs though, uh, you know, based on the way the other games shake out, but I'm, I'm going to have to give this one to Buffalo. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you because look, I like Buffalo. I really do. I feel like Buffalo is going to make the Super Bowl. You know what? Let's put it in the crystal ball file. I'll put it in the crystal ball file. Buffalo in the Super Bowl. There's a prediction for you. Jonathan uh, Coachman just stood up out of his seat. Yeah, yes, he did. Yeah. Um, in the words of Coach, uh, I'm a Chiefs fan. I'll play your take, but I don't like it. Um, live update real quick uh, before we continue uh, NFL uh, preview here. Uh, end of quarter number one, Toronto 22 Knicks 18. There's your daily Knicks uh, basketball talk in the episode. Julius Randle with uh, six points, five rebounds. Uh, it's just uh, uh, yikes. Uh, live Maybe the up. second quarter will be better. Yeah. Set, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll let you know. Um, so Baltimore Cincy. Remember Baltimore? Remember them? I don't. Uh, but they're they're in the uh, they're in the playoff picture and Indy's sitting on the outside right now. But Lamar, listen to this. I still don't think he's the quarterback everyone thinks he is, if that makes sense. Because I feel like he has a flash in the pan type of quarterback persona. And what I mean by that is maybe you get a couple good years out of him, but eventually he's he's gonna he's not going to be able to get you to where you want to be. He has 23 touchdowns though, passing on the season, 908 rushing yards and seven touchdowns on the season. Their playoff scenarios, Baltimore, it's pretty simple. They win and they're in that. That's pretty much their scenario uh, when it comes to them, because there is no other scenario really for them. I mean, if they lose, and everyone else wins, they're out. Yeah, well, I know this is a, a weird way to look at it, but um, talking to a couple of Ravens fans this past week, 
what the Ravens need to do is let Lamar Jackson be Lamar Jackson, but your take of him being a flash in the pan is is still right in in my opinion because every running quarterback they they kind of taper off after a while, right? I've always I've always lived by the motto that in the NFL everybody talks about people being fast, right? They're like, oh well, you, we hear it in our area a lot because we we live in a small town and everybody thinks that everybody's a superstar. They're like, he can play in the NFL. He's you know look how fast he is. In the NFL, a guy that's 320 pounds runs a 40 in under five seconds. Everybody's fast in the NFL, okay? Don't mind me if I I think that your son in high school football is not fast. Anyway, but looking at Lamar Jackson, I, I I don't see a way that the Ravens lose this game. I don't see them falling like the Steelers did a couple weeks ago to the Bengals. I I think that this is going to be, I think this is going to be the Ravens just keep trucking along, keep doing their monotonous running thing that that probably bores some people to death, but is so effective because it's just the way the Ravens do the do the game. That's how they play. They with Lamar Jackson, they just run it down your throat. They could almost get into a triple option style offense and be successful in the NFL. And honestly, I'd be here for it. I think that'd be fun to watch. But they're just going to keep that rotation going. Again, the the Bengals really, you know, they they can play spoiler, and and certainly they beat the Steelers. But I think the Steelers were probably at their worst the other week whenever they played them. So I I think that the Ravens are going to come out of this in, uh, and I think the Ravens are going to be in the playoffs. As as crazy as it's been for a season for them, here they are looking at the postseason. Yeah, and you know, let me ask you this because Cincinnati is that classic team that finds themselves this year. You know, it's not every season that a team who's on week 17, right? Like those things change year in and year out. The NFL's parody, but Cincinnati feels like the team, right? Who has nothing to play for and can spoil someone's postseason bid. But on the flip side of that, I feel like they also want to play for Zach Taylor because hot take for you. I feel like Zach Taylor is going to be one of the fire sale type of coaches gone on Monday find himself because he feels like a coordinator guy right that's a term that we use all the time he feels like a coordinator guy he doesn't feel like a head coach guy he feels like one of those guys that had the interview because he knew Sean McVay and because he was on the coaching staff but when you look at it out of the Sean McVay coaching staff really the only guy who deserved a head coaching job Matt LaFleur Matt LaFleur really the only guy because everyone else who got interviews out of that coaching staff it feels like the classic Belichick. You work with him, you're just as good as him. I don't think that's the case. Do you do you feel like Zach Taylor's going to be fired on Monday? I, I do. I feel like a lot of Bengals fans want that. I've, I've seen that take a few times, and, and they're fed up with it. And, and look, I I see it both ways because with, with Zach Taylor, he's still young enough that he can grow with a quarterback like Joe Burrow because I think the problem this year for Cincinnati was not Joe Burrow. The problem was is they couldn't protect him. They're playing with makeshift offensive lines every week that that just have nothing nothing to do, and 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 that's not necessarily a coaching issue. Um, I mean, if if your offensive line should be good and they're bad, then yeah, that's that's a coaching issue. But you know, when you're talking about again the talent at the NFL level, sometimes it drops off if you have injuries and things shuffle around. And obviously, this year with COVID. I don't, I don't fully blame him for all their problems, but it certainly doesn't help that they've had such a bad year doing it. But I remember when Cleveland beat Baltimore a couple years back to, to knock them out of the playoffs and Andy Dalton's charity had a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice bonus there from the Buffalo Bills mafia after that game to get them in. So, 
you know, we have a couple of these games, right? Teams don't really have a lot to play for and, and could come in and be a nuisance. And I think Cincinnati could be a nuisance, but I think that I think Baltimore still comes out of this game with a win. Sticking with the AFC North, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, talk about the, a game that has everything for one team in meaning and another team, it just, it doesn't. Um, Big Ben on the season, 33 touchdowns, 10 picks. Uh, look, Big Ben's having a quiet, solid year. I don't know how much longer he has left in the league because it feels like he's on borrowed time. He feels like the classic quarterback who Pittsburgh is going to let him go possibly, you know, and he's going to want to try to get a two-year deal somewhere. You know what I mean? And, and that happens in the league all the time. But Baker, 25 touchdowns, eight picks, 3,367 yards. Uh, before we started the show, I used to tell people Baker's not a quarterback uh, that I trust, but I'm going to take that take back because I actually do think he is that guy. He's rallied them around with a tough, tough season. Their playoff scenarios are Cleveland. Look, I really hope they make the playoffs. I don't want to see them get out of the playoffs. It's simple for them, really. They clinch with a win or an Indy loss or Tennessee loss or and this is, this is uh, very tricky as well. Miami win or Baltimore win. So really all Cleveland has to do and they're, win, they're in, winning in. Because if they lose, then it's up to everyone else. And I'd be like out of that scenario of the teams of Indy, Tennessee, Miami, or Baltimore, if Cleveland was to lose, I, I feel like it would all ride on, Baltimore and Miami to tell you the truth because I don't think Tennessee is going to lose and I don't think Indiana uh, is going to lose and we'll talk about those games in a moment but look two teams who have complete opposite sides of the triangle again classic week 17 matchup where one team has everything to play for and the other doesn't so Big Ben is not starting on Sunday Pittsburgh is resting a few of their starters um, Big Ben being one of them TJ Watt being one of them uh, Cam Hayward, Marquise Pouncey. So four, four pretty significant names. I, I get it. It's, it's probably the four most important players on the team. I'll, I'll put it that way. Here's why I love this matchup. Now, obviously all of our listeners know that I'm a Steeler fan. And if you're new here, I'm a Steeler fan. Last year, we, we, witnessed something that we've never seen on a football field before when Miles Garrett hit Mason Rudolph over the head with his helmet. Assault. Right? Yeah, assault. <laughs> to, to, <laughs> that's, that's so funny. That's still funny even a year later. This is, this, is, this is me picking with my heart here because the opportunity for the Browns to be a 10-win football team, have the best season that they've had since 2007, I believe it was, and maybe their best overall season in, in more than two decades almost at this point, for them to be knocked out of the playoffs by the backup quarterback that they, air quotes, assaulted last year would be just the perfect harmony of the world in, in such a weird way. And it would almost just fall to the fact of that's the Browns. That's how the Browns are. The Browns have one of those moments every year that seems to, you just say, how? And we haven't really seen that yet. So I'm, I'm going to pick Pittsburgh in this one for that sense. And 
and one other thing that has me excited as a fan. Now, this is a this is a personal a personal thing that has me excited. Is I hear earlier this week Chase Claypool saying he goes, I've really been able to develop chemistry with with Mason Rudolph in practice, because the Steelers really don't have a lot to play for. The Steelers are you know they're going to be the two or the three seed. Doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Uh, and again, you know, like I said, this year it, it is less important, still important, but less important. Let Mason Rudolph sling it. Just just get him out there and try to sling it. You know, the running game has been a problem for Pittsburgh. So why not just let Mason Rudolph go all out and just start throwing the ball? Try to get him some corner routes to start and then just let him throw a couple of deep routes. I mean, Claypool's good at drawing pass interference. So um, this is a this is a heart pick, but I'm I'm going with Pittsburgh to knock Cleveland out of the playoffs. Whoa. Whoa, whoa. Okay. Um I will put that in the crystal ball file. Now, look, by the time the crystal ball file uh, highlight show plays, it'll be, you know, a whole new football season, but we can look back on that. That's, that's quite a prediction. Hey, look, I'm, I'm one of the first people to tell you if I'm wrong, I'll admit it. Um, I've been wrong many a time in my life. Same. And if, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I, Cleveland's a great football team. I, I have faith in them. I think that they are a, a sustainable team, but I, I just feel like, I don't know. Maybe it's my heart talking over my mind again, but I just feel like Pittsburgh's gonna gonna win this one. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, none of us are always one hundred percent right. Uh, me or you, right? When it comes to our predictions, but uh, that that uh, I'll, I'll text you on Sunday. I'll, I'll let I'll let you know. Um, switching from the AFC to the NFC just for a moment. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of good <laughs> NFC games. Uh, but before we continue with the AFC, jam-packed in the middle of everything, Packers-Bears. It is unthinkable, unthinkable that the Bears, who lost five straight games and lost five of six, have a chance to beat probably the MVP. Look, I, I know how I feel about MVP. I'm sure you know how you feel. It's really a popularity contest, right? How much stock do you put in those things? Uh I mean, I don't really put a whole lot of stock into it. Maybe you do. But Aaron Rodgers, 44 touchdowns, five picks. He's now the odds-on favorite to win it. It's pretty simple for Chicago and Green Bay. Green Bay clinches the first seed, the first round bye, if you will, with a win or a Seattle loss. Pretty simple. Chicago will get in with a win or an Arizona loss. There's no ties. There's no, you know, two extra teams need to lose or whatever. Like sometimes you'll get those scenarios in week 17 in a couple of seasons, but it's pretty simple for both of those teams. I think this is going to be the best matchup of the day. Um, I actually feel like both teams have a lot to play for. I feel like Matt Nagy, regardless, if he misses the playoffs, he's gone. There's no, he, if he makes it, he might have one, one year left on borrowed time and, and, see if he can turn that pro you know program <laughs> franchise uh, around um but i i really do think this is going to be the best game of the day i i think aaron might have either a really good game or a really really poor game because chicago's defense has played really exceptional the last couple of weeks they've looked good but aaron Rodgers is my mvp too and and he's just having an outstanding year he Again, this is one of those things that I, I believe I said it way back when we started this show. 
everybody seems to have those things where they're just like, eh, you know, maybe, maybe Aaron Rodgers is going to fall off this year. Just stop saying it until it happens. Just, just appreciate what you're able to see in a guy like Aaron Rodgers year in and year out and, and the way he dictates the offense. So, you know, looking back to the game on Sunday, the, the crazy thing to Aaron Rodgers about me is just how calm he is on a football field. And, and he's going to translate that into week 17 with a potential, the, the number one seed on the line here, because that, that buy is going to be important and, and they are going to be playing for that with the scenarios of the other teams to still get to it. So nothing would make them feel better than to knock their oldest rival out of the playoffs essentially and, and get that number one seed and hold on to it. I'm picking green Bay and I'm picking green Bay because of Aaron Rodgers. every year. I feel like we hear, Oh, they're going to fall off. They're not going to be, just stop. Just stop. Aaron Rodgers is still good, and he's going to be good until he's not good anymore. And, and we'll know when that is. But right now, just appreciate what 12's doing. And you know what? Appreciate what Devontae Adams is doing, too. He is he is overlooked, in my opinion, and has gotten some more excitement this year as, as the seasons went on as a top receiver. But we talk about Julio Jones. We talk about DeAndre Hopkins. But, you know, when you have a connection like 12 and 17, it's – it's pretty magical and it's fun to watch. So I'm, I'm going with green Bay. Um, I agree with you though. I think you have to get rid of Matt Nagy. I think you have to open up the playbook a little bit more and certainly they've done it the last couple of weeks, albeit against some poor teams, but you know, Mitchell Trubisky, he really could have that second contract and that franchise tag, but I think it takes a coach that's able to cater to his skill set. And I don't know if Matt Nagy can do that. I think this is a Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers victory and, and we're going to see them deep into the playoffs again in Green Bay. You know, it, it feels like when I watch Aaron Rodgers, it feels like he's the flash for a comic book reference there, and everyone else is just in slow motion. I mean, the dude's just unthinkable, especially the way he carved up Tennessee on Sunday. I mean, maybe you expected that because you've talked about Tennessee's past defense being poor anyway, but I didn't expect that. I mean, the, the guy's just unreal. It's unthinkable that he's still doing it this many years in the league as exceptional as he is. And it's also crazy to think about, man, he's only been to one Super Bowl, one, one Super Bowl in 2010. That's it. No, none, no others. He's been to a couple, you know, deep playoff runs, but I mean, the guy's just unthinkable. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. I'm assuming, I'm assuming he can, he will be a first ballot hall of famer because of his stats and numbers and everything. But I just feel like sometimes they look at Super Bowl rings way more than they should. It's just, it's crazy that he's only been to one. Um, that that game though on Sunday is massive and, and we'll see what happens going forward because I think also David Montgomery's quietly having a really good season uh, over a thousand yards rushing for the Bears. And, you know, I make the joke that that's who they always start to anyway. But I mean, it makes sense. Um, with you know. with Aaron Rodgers, though, the one thing is is you don't really hear a lot of people talk about him not making the Super Bowl often and only one because he won it. So people look at his resume and say, "Oh, we, we won a Super Bowl." I mean, not not that multiple Super Bowls makes you a, a much better quarterback. We can find multiple examples of that, but it, it just seems like people have have almost given him that pass in that sense because he has won one. Yeah, and real quick, just wrapping up Packers Bears talk. Allen Robinson, I think he might have a good day, even if they do lose to Green Bay on Sunday, because he has a thousand two hundred thirteen yards, six touchdowns on the season. Um, I feel like he's going to have a nice little contract extension come uh, come March or April. 
Jacksonville Indy. Um, it is insane to think Jacksonville's in a meaningful game in week 17 <laughs> uh, this season because they've clinched the first pick. They don't look like they care, right? At times they, they got beat down by the Bears last week. But I don't know, man. Jonathan Taylor, nine touchdowns on the season, almost 1,000 rush yards, 916. For Indy, they actually have them in Tennessee, and we'll talk about Tennessee in a moment, but they actually have one of the most interesting playoff scenarios of the day. Here's why. Indy can either go all in or they can go all out, and here's what I mean by that. Indy can clinch the AFC South with a win plus a Tennessee loss or an Indianapolis tie and a Tennessee loss. Now, the ties, they throw that in there because if a team ties during the regular season, you know, they're just going to put that in there. But look, 90% of the time, a tie is not going to happen. They can get in the playoffs with a win, Baltimore loss, a win, Cleveland loss, a win, a Miami loss. I mean, they're playing Jacksonville, and I, I don't I don't know. I, I mean, it just feels like they're going to find themselves Sunday at 7.40, 7.30, sitting on the outside of this whole thing. Oh, you're going with Jacksonville to upset them. I, well, I, I think everyone else. Or everyone else will win, and, and they won't. Win. Okay, that, okay. My, my scenario tracker was not Karnacki-ish. um yeah i I think that's i think that's a a very plausible scenario of course i picked cleveland to be out um in in the earlier games but i I think indianapolis the the interesting thing though about jacksonville just just to start this with jacksonville they they literally have nothing to play for there's there's no draft order that can change anything It, it is their number one why not just go out and play crazy. I mean, Doug Marone's probably going to be out. We, we don't have too much about that. It'll be a new coach and a new quarterback with Trevor Lawrence. Just go out and throw it all on the table. Fake your field goals every time. Fake your punts. Why not? Just, just have fun with it. I don't think that's going to lead him to victory though. I think Indianapolis is a better team. And I, and I think, you know, throughout this, throughout the duration of the show, I know we picked up, you know, in the middle of the season, but I don't feel we've given Indianapolis the credit they deserve. And, and sometimes whenever faced with bigger games, they do falter. Uh, I think of like Tennessee and, and last week against Pittsburgh and against Baltimore. But Phillip Rivers is, is quietly having a good season and Jonathan Taylor's really came into his own at a running back. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't think he would be here having the season that he is. Uh, the Colts defense is performing at a, at a fair level too. So I think it would almost be – it's unfair that one of these teams is not going to make the playoffs because it is it is going to be five 10-win teams at least, and it could be five 11-win teams. <laughs> so that's just that's just crazy to me that one of them is not going to make it. But uh, I think Indy will because of the Cleveland loss. And, and again, that's a personal scenario. But it, it is a crime that one of these teams isn't going to make it. Yeah, I really hope it's not Cleveland because uh, I'm pulling for them. I want them to have a playoff game. Um, it's cool to see teams or franchises break playoff droughts. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, a couple of years back, like Minnesota Timberwolves, they broke a playoff drought. Uh, I think it was in hockey this year, the uh, Edmonton Oilers, uh, even though it was in the play-in scenario, they, you know, they blo- they 
got rid of a playoff drought. Like I like those kind of things. Um, I'm pulling for Cleveland, man. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, when it comes to Tennessee, Houston, because Ryan Tannehill, 32 touchdowns, seven picks, Derrick Henry, 15 touchdowns. I don't think he'll get, he has to have an insane crazy game to get the the 2000 rush yards. He's at 1777. Um, he ain't going to get it, but look, they're, they're also in the whole, they're either all in or they're all out scenario. They can clinch the AFC South with a win and an Indy loss or a playoff berth with a Baltimore loss or a Miami loss. But if they don't clinch the AFC South, they're going to find themselves sitting out on, uh, you know, of the playoff picture. And it's crazy to think about because they're one of the most dangerous teams going into the postseason, especially wildcard weekend, because I don't think if you're Buffalo, if you're Pittsburgh, you want to play Tennessee because Tennessee, I mean, look at them. I mean, they're one of the most dangerous teams and look, they wouldn't play the Tennessee anyway until possibly divisional weekend. But I mean, the fact that Tennessee could either play Baltimore, Cleveland, you know, Miami, whoever, that I don't know, man. The AFC playoff picture is so fascinating. I think Tennessee is going to get it done, though. Deshaun Watson, though, is having a quiet, good year. It's a shame that Houston seems like he's on the path that, unfortunately, because of Bill O'Brien's bad general manager mistakes and bad coaching, it seems like Deshaun Watson's in for a long ride, kind of like Matt Stafford in Detroit, where things just aren't going to work out for him, and, and he's going to be a franchise quarterback with no help around him. Hopefully they can get him some help in the next couple of years and put somebody in there that can build a, a franchise back. You know, Houston was in the playoffs before. I mean, they they have made it now, albeit not been successful, but for a team that's only been around for 18, 19 years, they've, they've at least been there. And hopefully they can give him some help. But Tennessee's dangerous because of, of the same thing that we talked about with Baltimore, and that's they're able to run the ball. When you have somebody like Derrick Henry, you're going to be able to run the ball. And what that opens up, and, and we saw this on Sunday. Now, albeit one play, and they got smoked in the game against Green Bay. But you remember the play where they do the RPO back. Tannehill takes a snap. The entire eight people that are up in the box for that follow Derrick Henry. Everyone crashes to Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill runs practically untouched for a touchdown. And that opens up play action too. So Tennessee is a dangerous team if they're able to make the playoffs. I think they'll beat Houston. um, And I think JJ Watt may end up giving us another speech after this game too, because he also deserves better as a, as an athlete that's given pretty much everything to the Texans in his nine, 10 seasons in the league. But Tennessee's going to win this game. And you're right. Tennessee's dangerous going into the playoffs too, because of exactly what we said, their ability to run the ball and, and they're able to, control the clock, control the game. But Tannehill can also make those throws. And, and that's that's what this opens up. Derrick Henry has a, a, a modest night on the ground. A modest night for Derrick Henry is like 120 yards. But he has a modest night running the ball. They can open up a, a decent day for Ryan Tannehill, too, with a 260, 300-yard game. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out because it, it really is five games that matter in the AFC. But I think Tennessee gets in, and, and I think Tennessee will be um, – they won't be an easy out come, come next week. No, no, they will not um, because they're dangerous and their defense, defensive line anyway, 
Um, I mean, you definitely talked about their past defense and um, they, they, well, they got, can't get to the quarterback, but they can, they can, they can stop the run at least. Right. Sticking with the, uh, the whole playoff picture that is the NFL week 17, but going over to the NFC side of things uh, and finishing it up on that side, New Orleans, Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater, 35, 57 passing yards on the season, 15 touchdowns. I think he's a franchise quarterback. I know you don't, but this game has a lot of meaning. New Orleans can clinch the bye with a win, a Green Bay loss, and and a Seattle win. That's the only scenario where it can happen for them. Um, they need those two things to happen, plus uh, obviously getting the win against Carolina on Sunday. Look, I, I, I feel like Drew Brees is on borrowed time. I feel like this has to be his last season. It, it looks like he he is unfortunately falling into the trap of playing one year too long. And, and it's been amazing what he's done with his career, but I don't want him to play another year and see him continue to struggle like he is at times. Um, I think they're going to get the win against Carolina, but I don't be shocked if they put in Taysom Hill around the second or third quarter, no matter what the score is. Yeah. Well, this is New Orleans isn't going to get the number one seed because green Bay is going to win this game. So it's really not going to matter too much there, but New Orleans is a is a tricky case because I, I think back in, and you actually referenced it earlier in the show talking about the the Peyton Manning year that that Peyton Manning last season that was that was pretty brutal to watch because it it was not the Peyton Manning that I remember growing up watching and and this Drew Brees is kind of the same way right he he has his moments of being able to throw it downfield but you know the the whole mantra this year is uh, he can only throw it within ten yards. I mean, maybe if you have Alvin Kamara scoring six touchdowns a game, it doesn't matter, but that can't happen every week. But New Orleans, New Orleans is almost led by their defense in some senses because they have to keep the score lower because it's not the same high-powered team that, that they have been in the past. And, and with Michael Thomas being out most of the season, that's kind of been a hindrance on the offense too a little bit because he is a playmaker. Of course, Alvin Kamara still can make plays and, and Drew Brees can find other guys to make plays, but it's just it's just not the same thing. Now, one one very interesting stat that I want to give you here is is the Emmanuel Sanders factor that I that I don't think people are listening to enough is, is that Emmanuel Sanders, the longtime receiver of the league, has played for three different teams in his career, started with the Steelers, went to the Broncos and then played for the 49ers. He's been to the Super Bowl with all three of those teams. Now, he's only won one but he has been to the Super Bowl with all three of those teams. Is Emmanuel Sanders the X factor for getting a team to a Super Bowl just by his presence in the locker room to be determined? <laughs> to be determined. Um, kind of like that VCR that you have, the DVD VCR combo. Uh, will it hold up for another year? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I have a VHS tape called the 100 greatest touchdowns in NFL history. And that's how I learned so much about NFL history. I wouldn't know who Hugh McElhenney was if it wasn't for that darn video. So I'll take it. Um, the DVD VCR combo. It's, it is excellent. Uh, I, I will not let that go. Um, <laughs> by the way, quick uh, Nick's update before we uh, continue the uh, NFL uh, preview. 42 all at half. Um, Ooh. Ooh. 42 all at half. And look. It's kind of interesting. Julius Randle, 13 points. R.J. Barrett, six. 
Are the Knicks going to be an eight seed? I don't know. We're, we're, oh, look at that smile. I know I know those listening can't see it, but Ryan's smiling. He's happy. He's feeling I, it right I, now. Yeah. Uh, I, it's crazy that uh, – I, I don't know. Julius Randle, the best player on the team. Uh, it, it, it's ridiculous. Um, so that was your Knicks uh, minute lightning recap live reaction. Um, look, Seattle, San Francisco, it, it might be the trickiest game of the day uh, for a team that has a lot to play for um, because San Francisco, they only allow 24 points a game. Seattle scores about 22. So, but Russ, it's, you know, he's having another crazy MVP type season. Um, and no one's talking about him. It, it, it's it's mind boggling to me because everyone talked about it at the beginning of the season. Russ has never got an MVP vote. You know what's going to happen, don't you? Someone's going to put a, an MVP vote on Russ. That way, going into next season, there's not that narrative anymore and they can forget about it. They'll but just say he only has one first place vote. Exactly. I mean, that. But they have a lot to play for because um, they're, they can either move up or down in the seating. They could end up high as a two or they could end up as low as a three. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of Seattle. They're, they are the trickiest team because it feels like if they lose this game, they, the wheels can fall off going into the postseason. But it feels like if they win this game, they can make it all the way to the NFC Championship. Well, and that's, I think that's a testament to Pete Carroll and the team that he, that he builds there year in and year out. And a lot of it has to do with Russ too. If, if you have a team good enough to build around a franchise quarterback like that, yeah, I mean, you would trust Russell Wilson down four points at the end of a game to take you down. I mean, that's, that's pretty simple, but I, I think this is a tricky game. And I think this is a tricky game because San Francisco has really kind of come to spoil seasons. And we saw that last week, certainly with Arizona that they're not giving up. And I genuinely believe if, if San Francisco was fully healthy through this season, we could be talking about four teams from the same division in the playoffs. I, I don't think that is completely crazy because albeit the Cardinals have kind of fallen off. I think that they'll, I think that, you know, they, they may still find their way in the playoffs by virtue of the bears losing, but San Francisco does not give up, and that defense is is the reason why. They're not going to rely on C.J. Beathard's arm to win them to win them, a, you know, any Super Bowl. Certainly, they're not in the playoffs, but they're that's that's not their strength. Their strength is their defense, and I, I do think Robert Saul is gone after this year. I think that he will be considered for a head coaching position and will ultimately get one. But it's it's a weird game because Seattle does have that narrative to play for. But San Francisco is not going to stop, and, and Kyle Shanahan's not going to bring his team not to play, saying, well, you know, it's not really going to matter because they would love to mess up a team seating. They seem to do it every week at this point. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago whenever they beat the Rams, whenever the Rams were trying to buy for the, the division lead, they didn't care about that. So it's very possible to think that San Francisco wins this game, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see that happen, to, to be completely honest with you. I know I talked about, I think Robert LaSalle is a coordinator guy. I don't think he's a head coach guy. And I know we differ on that, but here's a comparison for you. I think what's going to end up happening. I feel like he's a Gus Bradley. He's going to get to a, a team that's in a bad position. And instead of turning things around, he's going to continue to get like 
the year after year, you know, grace period, like, hey, he just needs one more piece. He'll get it together, da 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 da. I, I don't know. I just don't, I just don't think he's a head coach. I know we differ on that, but I mean, you're definitely right. He's going to get a head coaching job probably this off season. Um, LA uh, and Arizona, both teams have lost three of five. Arizona, it's pretty simple for them. Win or Chicago loss. That's it. The Rams win or Chicago loss. So, Chicago really, really has a stake in who makes the playoffs out of this game. If they lose to the Packers, you know that the Rams and Arizona are going to be scoreboard scoreboard watching Mm -hmm. um, the Chicago Packers game because look, if Chicago wins, then it doesn't, then it doesn't matter for Arizona. Um, The Rams will end up, you know, staying in the wild card race anyway, but um yeah, I, I, Jared, Jared Goff, I mean, he's not going to be playing because of the thumb injury. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to think about either of these teams, especially with the Rams, you know, scoring about, well, excuse me, averaging 390 yards uh, per game. I don't know what to think about either team. So remind me of this scenario again. Make, make me realize this and I'm not crazy. If Chicago loses, both of these teams are in the playoffs. According to the scenarios, okay, the Ram, the Rams, if they win, they're in, or Chicago loss. Okay, same with Arizona. Arizona wins or a Chicago loss. So Chicago loses. Both of these teams are in. Exactly. So it, it creates a it creates a. You're right. They are definitely going to be scoreboard watching then because, um, I mean it. It's fun that they're at the same time and you really can't you really can't have that and that's what the NFL has tried to create. But uh, both being for five games but there's there's a lot on the line here because whoever wins this is in a better position to do it so uh and it's certainly not promising to have john walford as your quarterback going into a week 17 game and not your number one pick jared golf uh the 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 thing that i always find funny and please don't misunderstand me world that i don't have anything against john walford in fact i didn't know who he was before he was coming into this game i love the i love the teammates that rally around their guy though i love that I love that the teammates come out and they say, John Wolford will be ready. Taylor Heineke will be ready. They're ready. They're ready to go. They're going to play. They're going to win. And then John Wolford will come out and throw for like 112 yards and two interceptions. And it's like 11 of 32, something weird like that. Right. And they're like, well, he, you know, he's performed in practice and we had confidence. What, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I think, I, I don't think this game is going to matter as much because I think it, Green Bay will win and it will knock Chicago out. Uh, so I, I think this game is almost minimized in that sense because Chicago is just not going to beat Green Bay. So these teams can be as weird as they want at 425. I, I don't think they're going to have anything to worry about. Yeah, the real story is what's going to be the golf injury going forward, right? Is he going to be able to play next week uh, if they get into the playoffs um, with, with, the, with the injury? Because, I mean, without him, that whole offense is, let's be honest, it doesn't go as well as it, it normally would with him behind center. They're a good running team, but it still runs through Jared Goff. And 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 I'll tell you, as now again, my my level of, of football is is high school for those new to this. I never played in college. That hurts hitting your hand off a helmet like that. And if it's a broken thumb with that, his grip on the football is going to be severely affected. And if he's not able to do it, then then you just basically stack the box and force him to beat you. And that's 
that does not bode well for the Rams. So here's to hoping John Walford has a breakout Matt Flynn type game from whenever he played for the Packers back umpteen number of years ago and uh, gets himself a contract next year for Washington. Speaking of Washington, I'm disgusted. The fact that we're the 830 game, it's gross. It's irresponsible is what it is. Let the season, let the season in. Put us at one o'clock or 425. Like there's so many better options than putting us versus Washington at the 830 game. Take me out of my misery. (laughs) I love Al Michaels and I love Collinsworth, but it is disgusting. I want the season to be over. It's frustrating. It's annoying. And in the words of Colleen, it feels like a chore. And my voice is raising. As you can see, it's almost like I'm yelling, but I am irritated. The fact that we're the 830 game on NBC, it should not be like that. Like I'm crying. I mean, it's, it is, oh, it's so frustrating. It is so frustrating. But Washington, they can clinch the NFC East with a win over the travesty that is my Eagles or a Dallas loss. It's frustrating. I'm still irritated. My voice is raising because it's just like we're going to get slaughtered. It's like taking – it is like taking us to a farm shelter and having cows sent to slaughter. I mean, we are going to get destroyed. I mean, as good as Jalen Hurts has given us a spark, you're putting us on prime time. Prime time, NFL. You're putting us on prime time. There's so many other games – that have better playoff meaning, like meaningful circumstances than this one. I mean, Washington has the nastiest defensive line in all of football. It, there's, there's no second. We've talked about it before. Chase Young, he's a stud. Montez Sweat, he's a stud. Jonathan Allen, he's a stud. Ryan, Ryan Kerrigan, excuse me, stud. Like Kendall Fuller on, on the secondary knows how knows how to play well in man coverage and in zone and he's gotten better as the season's gone on for them and they've gotten rid of Dwayne Haskins whatever happens whether it's Taylor Heineke or Alex Smith I feel like they're gonna you know destroy Philadelphia on Sunday but it it's annoying it's annoying that we are the NBC game I might even just go to sleep before the fourth quarter because it irritates me I mean just looking at every game that we've covered so far theoretically the game that you probably won at that slot is green bay and chicago yes but the reason that they're not doing it is because they were just in green bay last week which in my opinion it doesn't matter like you want the you want the game with the most implications in it in that regard because i don't know i just feel like i I just feel like if you want the ultimate closure to the 2020 season, put the NFC East on prime time to close out the season. The, this, this abomination of a division will close out the NFL regular season. And it's a game that only means something for one team. It's crazy. And that team is likely going to be down their starting quarterback after they just released another one. I'm, I'm with you here. I'm with you here. This is wild. It's just, it's crazy to me that the NFC East, as bad as it's been, as, as much as we've talked about it, it's going to close out the regular season and Washington will beat Philadelphia to get into the playoff. It's annoying. It really is. It's annoying. It's annoying. <laughs> like, 
I'm fine with watching the game till the end if I have to, but I'm probably going to go to sleep because I, I just want the season to be over. Well, here's the thing for, for the NFC East. I feel like the NFC East is one of those divisions that the rivalries are a little bit more intense between teams. Even, even in this season that, that it's bad. I feel like, you know, Washington and Dallas don't like each other and like Philly and Cowboy fans don't like each other. So let, let's say Dallas wins. Well, then Philly beats Washington. You're like, well, we knocked him out of the playoff. Well, you let Dallas in. It's almost like you can't win in this scenario because if you lose, you lose. But if you win, you're letting one of your other hated rivals in the, in the playoff. And part of me feels like the, the amount of talent that was on the Eagles team before Carson Wentz basically legitimately fell off a wagon. I don't know what happened to the guy, but he's, he's fallen off a cliff somewhere um <laughs> he was Oregon he was on the Oregon trail and got dysentery he lost yeah very yeah. early he is somewhere far go- by the way uh side note uh <laughs> it is it's one of the most comical things I've seen seen all NFL season the Eagles issued him a happy birthday on their official team Instagram <laughs> and they they did like an Instagram story of uh, like Carson Wentz moments, like with happy uh, birthday, like on each slide. And it's like, uh, yeah, uh, you might as well just tell him you're getting rid of him this off season instead of trying to sweeten this. To be uh, fair, they don't necessarily give out the highlight moments for the team's long snapper, but they'll still wish him a happy birthday. But kind of a, kind of a weird move to give him a yeah, highlight package. Especially when he's coming out saying like, he doesn't want to be the backup quarterback anymore. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, right. We're going to move on from you. Happy birthday though. Right, exactly. Hope it's a great year. Um, so that's our NFL preview, but Ryan, we're not, we're, we're not uh, done yet. Um, we, we decided to do something uh, a little different to uh, end the show, but uh, before we get to that, uh, tell people where can they listen to us? Where can they follow us? Yeah. So if you're listening to this show, you're probably doing it on Apple or Spotify. Uh, that's where you can listen to the show, subscribe, give us a rating. Um, listen to all of them download them that's that's where you're going to catch the show uh for regular show updates though make sure you're following us on facebook you're following us on twitter and instagram uh, and then as we always say in our episodes tiktok is another one that we've been using uh so with tiktok what we like to do is not only promote the show but we also kind of give some one-offs because the news cycle is always changing can't talk about everything on the show so we can give our 15 20 60 second reaction on tiktok uh, and that's one way that we're able to do it so Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Ryan Sports Show. Um, but let's let's end 2020 and start 2021 on a high note here. Yeah. Um, so Ryan, we're not going to do a recap, obviously, of uh, year in sports. Uh, I don't think either of us enjoy those kind of shows when it comes to sports shows to begin with because they're a little stale. However, we decided to do it a little different. Um, Ryan, why don't you tell the people what we came up with? Yeah, so I think what we want to do is is just kind of give everybody our favorite sports moment of 2020. Now, albeit a very strange year for sports uh, and a year that sports were stopped for months on end because of the global pandemic, uh, there are still some redeeming moments in sports and some exciting moments in sports. Uh, and for us personally, of course, we have our own fandom. So, um, Ryan, what was what was your individual favorite sports moment of 2020, or two, if you have a couple that stand out to you? Okay, I'm I'm going first. Yeah, go for it. Okay, 
so for me, it was, um, it, it, it had to have been the, the five overtime playoff hockey game between Tampa and Columbus as my first one, mm-hmm. because that started at three in the afternoon. It was so long. It ended at nine 40 in the night, but because of the playoff bubbles, and this is where things get weird, right? Because of the playoff bubbles in Toronto, the next morning playoff hockey started at 11 and went until midnight with the playoff bubble in Edmonton. So it created a whole two, three day period, excuse me, of just wall to wall playoff hockey. And it was, it was truly incredible to watch. And I think the second um, obviously had to be when um, NBA and and, and Milwaukee um, said they weren't going to play today and Mm -hmm. um, rightfully so. And, and, And it was, it was very powerful, and, and you know, later that evening, uh, there was a game that was going to be scheduled on TNT. Um, it's one of the most powerful moments, not only this year that I've ever seen in my life, but uh, when Kenny Smith looked at his guys that he's been doing the, you know, the show with on uh, Turner uh, for years, Ernie, Shaq, and, and uh, Chuck, and said, you know, I just don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like it's the right time to talk basketball. And he took his mic pack off, and he and he walked back, and you know two or three days later when they came back to play, he was on the set, but that, that had to be the two most memorable moments for me. Um, and I guess even a third, if I, if I want to go that far, um, Mike Emmer calling his last uh, Stanley cup final uh, because he, you know, he's a poet, he's a poet behind, behind the microphone. And, and, you know, I don't think people realize um how hard hockey is versus other sports like football or basketball to call because it is constant nonstop until you get a media timeout. I've, I've said in the years that I've been watching hockey, I, I don't think that in any sport, any sport that I've ever watched, I don't think there's a better commentator than Doc Emmerich. I think the only person that I could put up there would be maybe the Herb Street Fowler booth or the Joe mm-hmm. Buck you know, the, the A teams for football, but even then, or and Brent Musburger when he was doing it with Herbie, but yeah, I mean, Doc's one of a kind. He, hopefully one day we can get him on the podcast because he is a true poet behind, um, behind the mic. Yeah. One of the, one of the best. And I, I feel like if, um, if we'd have known at the time that it was his last season, we'd appreciated it a little bit more. Um, so my favorite moments of the year, I, I have a couple as well. Um, I always love when teams win the Super Bowl that that have not won it in a while. And that really goes for all teams winning championships. And to be able to see the Chiefs, because I'm mostly a football fan, again, you know, I'd, I'd rather the Steelers win as a fan, but seeing the Chiefs win the Super Bowl was, was kind of gratifying in that way. Uh, to see Patrick Mahomes, a player that I have the utmost respect for, and, and Andy Reid, really, to, to feel good for him to be able to get that um, you know, I know as an Eagles fan, you know, you some. I, I don't think a lot of Eagles fans have have a lot of missteps with Andy Reid, um, but to see that that combination win the Super Bowl is very exciting. To be honest, though, my favorite sports moment of the year, uh, and this might shock you a little bit, uh, we talked about how it was kind of closed down forever for a few months, but honestly, my favorite sports moment of the year was the return of NASCAR. And I know that sounds weird because I, I really wasn't a big NASCAR fan overall, but having to see them come back and, and kind of that being the only sport, uh, whenever I was a kid, I was a huge NASCAR fan. 
believe it or not. I, I was a huge Jeff Gordon fan. I was a huge NASCAR fan. Um, so I, I kind of got back into the sport this year. So it was an interesting way to get back into the sport. I never thought it would take a global pandemic for me to appreciate NASCAR again, but I'm, I'm glad that I did because I, I will make an announcement on this show in a couple of weeks who I'm rooting for in 2021. I picked my driver. So um, I'll, I'll do that in a couple of weeks whenever we go before the Daytona 500. <laughs> I'm only laughing because Pee Wee's laughing at me on the other end of this. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, and one more, the, the final one is seeing Big Ben come back to play. Um, Big, Big Ben is one of the one of the few guys that I have the utmost respect for as a football player. I know some people, you know, have, have some concerns with his indiscretions off the field that have been marred, but I I've grown up with big Ben 2004. When he was drafted, I I've grown up with him. I've watched his rookie season. I I watched him through everything Win two super bowls, some of the, some of the not so savory moments and some of the sweet moments, the crazy moments, uh, all the frustration that sometimes comes with the quarterback, seeing him back on the field just feels right. And I know that he's towards the end of his career, but um, I'm glad that we got to see him at least one more time because it wouldn't have felt right going him going out the way that he did. So um, I'm glad that Big Ben's back for that for that regard. Uh, again, regardless of how you feel about him, he's he's one of the guys that I've seen since my childhood. So I'm, I'm glad that he was able to play 2020. So what you're saying is going forward, we're going to have NASCAR predictions and uh, mixed basketball. Um, <laughs> you didn't even know it. You had no idea. Well, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I was a huge NASCAR fan growing up. I was, that was my sport above football. And I got out of it when they changed their whole like playoff format. I didn't really care for it, but um, I have a couple good friends that are NASCAR fans. So they've kind of, graciously helped me back and understand how some of this works and I don't know it's kind of fun well um that uh that wraps up uh to Ryan sports show uh, for 2020 uh when we're recording this but hey we're going to time travel and when this drops it's going to be 2021 so uh we hope uh, everyone uh is, is going to have a um, a safe and, and happy new year, of course, um, Ryan, but we're, we're going to continue our normal schedule. We're going to be back and see everyone on Tuesday before uh, I let you go. Uh, live Knicks update, 54, 48, uh, six minutes left in the third. Uh, so we're looking good. Yeah, looking good. Hey, one other thing for you, as far as good moments of the sports year, how about starting a sports podcast out of, out of the air and, and bringing it and bringing on some big guests and, and looking to a, a really successful 2021. Yeah, we, it's a, uh, it's a shame that the people uh, can't uh, know what's uh, happening behind the scenes. Cause we have some very big things planned. And I, I, uh, I know that um, you're just as excited as I am, but um, Ryan, we'll, we'll see everyone uh, back on Tuesday. Yeah. Have a happy new year, everybody. And we'll see you. We'll see you next week.